Today, we reflect on the social rejection and isolation autistic children face, which often accompanies them into adulthood. Welcome to Embracing Autism, a podcast for parents of autistic children seeking advice and support while spreading awareness and acceptance of autism spectrum disorder. I'm Leah. And I'm Matt. And each week we will discuss our journey with autism and talk about how to embrace your child's individuality while providing guidance, tips, resources, and sharing our personal stories. This is Embracing Embracing Autism. Autism. Hey everyone, welcome back. This episode theme may sound a little familiar to you, and that is because we touched on this topic last season when it came to making friends. But we wanted to talk a little bit more about the child's feelings in terms of that sense of social rejection and the sense of isolation that a lot of autistic children will have to deal with in life. And the fact that it doesn't tend to go away once you get into adulthood, there tends to be a little bit of a long lasting impact from this isolation, especially with, I would say, the higher functioning kiddos who grow up and end up understanding their autism and understanding that, hey, I have this neurological difference and all that. I would assume, but I wouldn't know, I'm just assuming that those on the lower functioning end may not have to deal with that as much, assuming that they aren't quite as aware about their social situation as a higher functioning kid would be. Again, that's just an assumption, but I think that's why it's particularly important when it comes to raising autistic kids to be ready to have these sorts of conversations with them because they do experience social rejection. And unfortunately, just because they are different, this is not something that's going to change once they grow up. They are still going to face this even in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Yeah, and I know, I mean, obviously our kids are young, but I I think that this is one of my fears just as a parent. I mean, I think just in general, even outside of the autistic community as just a whole, as a parent, you want to make sure that your child doesn't feel like they are alone or isolated with their peers. So I feel this is kind of a challenging topic for me as well, just kind of addressing, okay, there might be times that they do struggle with kind of the isolation where they feel like, oh, I don't really fit in with my peers. I wonder why and having some of those uh, difficult conversations. The other reason I bring that up is because from my experience, and I'm sure you probably experienced the same thing, Matt, but for me growing up with my own neurodivergence, I definitely experienced social isolation and I definitely experienced moments of rejection from my peers. And when I was young, that definitely had an impact, but that was a long lasting impact. As I grew up, I had to go through a lot of like self-processing, self-evaluation, kind of self-reflection to understand the root cause of of why I felt like isolated from the world, essentially. Like, why did I feel like I couldn't make friends? Why I felt like I didn't get along with other people or they didn't seem to get along with me or perhaps they didn't like me and I couldn't understand why. And it all really boiled down to having that whole different way of thinking, essentially, just being neurologically different than them and they not being able to understand or or accept that at the time. Now, it's still a struggle in terms of society is changing a little bit when it comes to neurodiversity, but because it is something that's invisible, because it's something that people still aren't quite aware of, it really still is a problem. For me, I would say I definitely would try and shrug off the emotional impact that it had on me. So there'd be missed invitations where a group of people would be going to an event or something, I wouldn't be invited. I would feel, oh, well, why wasn't I invited? That kind of thing. But I would just kind of shrug it off and, oh, I didn't really want to go. I'm busy with other things and try and focus on the other (laughs) things that I may or may not have been busy with as a way of just kind of explaining to myself of like, oh, no, I'm, they would have invited me, but I was too busy with something else or there was something else going on in my life that I couldn't possibly say yes to even if I wanted to. 
for me growing up, it wasn't so much not being invited. I actually was invited to a lot of parties and social activities. For me, it was more like once I was there, once I was at that party or I was at that social event, I then felt very isolated and rejected by my peers because I would see them all interacting with each other and kind of leaving me out. So I would feel like I was basically being invited as a courtesy, but nobody actually wanted me there because I was off to the side and nobody really ever tried to reach out to me. I tried reaching out to people, but it just didn't click. It didn't seem to work. And I couldn't quite understand what was going on. I didn't really understand why I couldn't connect into this group. And I would basically go to parties and I would go to these social events basically just to watch other people have fun <laughs> and for the snacks. <laughs> and I was going to say, and that might also be worse than my situation. Because I mean, that is basically isolation within a crowd. So you have that quasi, oh, I'm, I'm a part of a gang or a group that's hanging out. But then to basically be isolated while everyone else is socializing almost makes it a little bit more difficult. Yeah, it's kind of like a false sense of security where you kind of think you're getting somewhere. So you get excited, but then you get there and then you realize you're still not part of the circle. So I feel like that sometimes can be worse because you think you're making progress when you're actually not. So like that can kind of give you like false hope for a little bit. So that's definitely something that I struggled with growing up. I'm not going to lie, I still struggle with social relationships and friendships and stuff even to this day. But the difference is I've learned a lot about myself and who I am, and I don't blame myself for my neuro neurological differences. I don't get upset about it. I just have a harder time connecting with other people. And one of the things that I've learned from that, though, is how that can impact somebody growing up in terms of like their self-esteem, their self-worth, and whether they feel like they're connected to the world or not. And I think that's something that our kids as autistic children will struggle with more than likely as they grow up. So that's something that's definitely on the radar for me, for my girls. Like I want to make sure, especially since I've read some research on this and I've noticed that there tends to be a trend with girls. So girls who are on the spectrum, they tend to be more aware of this social isolation or the social rejection than guys who are on the spectrum. I think it's because young boys tend to not really value social relationships as highly as girls do at the time. Guys are really like, let's play trains, let's play video games. But girls are socializing like they're talking they're chatting they're gossiping i think the threshold is much lower for friendship or interactions as a boy or a man overall i don't think there is much of a threshold it's basically if you have a common interest and you can do a quick back and forth conversation with you're going to engage in that conversation and then it's like oh we had a pleasant conversation like let's do this again so as long as you're able to find a commonality you're kind of set but i feel like with girls and women, that is a different threshold altogether. I mean, 100%, because growing up and to this day, I've had a much easier time making friendships and social relationships with guys than I have with girls. Because you're right, with guys, it is a lower threshold. It's not so serious, I feel like. Like, right. I feel like with a guy, you can kind of say the wrong thing and it's not a big deal. They kind of like laugh it off or make a joke out of it or they just crack a joke at you instead or something like that and then you're over it. But with girls, you say the wrong thing and they basically paint you as like the enemy, throw you out of the clique, and then they start talking about you to everyone else. So everyone else doesn't want to be your friend. So yeah, we're pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just like girls, girls put a lot more weight on like social connection and what you say 
say and like, you know, the, the weight of the words of what you say and what you mean and like all that stuff, like the double meaning and all that stuff, which tends to work against autistics because autistics are way more on that black and white thinking side, more literal, more straightforward. And I feel like that's why girls tend to, autistic girls tend to do better with guy friends because guys tend to be more straightforward. They tend to be more literal. Well, they even have like, I mean, comedies making fun of the fact that like guys don't actually have to have a conversation to like get along. It's kind of like, oh, beer's in the cooler. Like, like, okay, let's get already get started. Like, that's it. Like they're already ready to have a good time (laughs) and they don't even have to use great perfect sentences, just very direct. It's like beverages there. Like, let's do it, whatever we're doing. Let's get this party started. (laughs) Right. basically. (laughs) Yeah. So like right off the bat, I feel like girls are at a disadvantage when it comes to trying to connect with other girls when it comes to autism. With us, since we have two girls, that has been something that has been on my mind quite a bit. That's going to be a challenge for them, just like it was a challenge for me. And I feel like they're probably going to have very similar challenges. And because of that, I really wanted to talk about like the sense of loneliness and isolation that that brings. Part of that is also due to rejection and the rejection from peers. If a kid wants to hang out, for example, but our child is autistic, they might want to hang out, but they don't know how to play, right? They might snatch your kid's toy and it's not because they're trying to be rude. It's not because they're a bully. It's because they saw something and to them, they're like, wow, this is awesome. I want that. And they don't have that like social component of understanding that we have to take turns. We have to ask. We have to share. And a lot of times to the public eye and to other kids' eye, it just comes off as rude or undisciplined or just like a bad kid. That already kind of hurts autistic kids as well because their behavior to the untrained eye seems like a spoiled or bad kid when it really isn't. Right. So when I see our two girls play, I mean, they play great together because they like to reenact different TV shows that they've seen or cartoons or whatever. But the issue is if you put them in an environment where they're playing with a child who has no context of that cartoon, our oldest daughter will kind of direct the other child because she wants her to play with her but she'll tell her oh say this and kind of thing and the other child is kind of confused because she has she hasn't seen the same episode like the younger one has it creates kind of a a break between them because the other child that she wants to play with at the uh, playground or whatever she doesn't know the backstory but our youngest one does because obviously they're watching cartoons together so i mean i think that's just one small element or piece that is kind of creating a bit of a, a isolation in itself yeah because a lot of times our kids they're both scripters they're heavily they're heavily scripters and so a lot of what they do is they like to watch these cartoons and the cartoons are playing or doing something like right now they're really into Stillwater, and it's a disney cartoon about this panda and so one of the episodes is about building this cardboard rocket ship. And in the cartoon, they pretend to go into outer space. They do all the checks and everything to make sure the rocket's ready to go. And then they blast off. And so there's two kids in that. And so our girls take the roles of those two kids and they will reenact and say the the script basically word for word. They know everything that they say. They know the actions to take. And they basically recreate that entire scene. So to the untrained eye, our kids look like they have this amazing imagination where they're able to recreate a launch sequence from like a spaceship with cardboard and all this stuff. So they appear to the untrained eye as like just really creative, imaginative little kids. But if another kid tries to play with them, it would just upset them because that kid doesn't understand they're not playing make-believe. They're rehearsing or they're scripting or basically reenacting a scene from a TV show. And so our kids will get upset 
if that kid doesn't say that part of the script correctly, like if they don't know their line, if they don't know their cue, our kids get upset. And so that has been part of that social isolation for them because it's hard enough to make friends. But then when you finally find a friend who's willing to play with your kid, then they have to play the quote unquote right way so that our kid doesn't reject them. So it's kind of like the rejection goes both ways sometimes. It's like 40 chess because those like, <laughs> and we, we've experienced that too, because sometimes they'll want us to recite the script with them. And I don't know word for word each of the different parts. So I might say something <laughs> wrong and then my oldest will correct me and say, no, 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 you have to say this. And then She'll I, feed you the lines. Right. Yeah. And, then, and then I'll be, oh, okay. And then I repeat exactly what she tells me to repeat. And then she keeps moving on as if I organically came up with that, that on my own. So we get to see firsthand what happens if a person isn't playing within like the little box uh, parameters that they've set. And depending on their mood, sometimes it can just be like a little bit of frustration. Sometimes they're like, "Ugh, you're not doing it right. And then just move on without you. But sometimes it can actually trigger a meltdown. So for those moments, if it does trigger a meltdown, my my kid, the older one especially, she will go like full-blown nuclear. And if that's the case with a public situation with a public potential friend, you can see why that would easily go off the rails. Yeah, they might see that as kind of something alarming where they were trying to play with a potential friend and then our child's on the ground like screaming and crying and they're like, whoa, what happened? This doesn't appear as what I naturally come across when I try and make new friends. Right. And one of the things that I actually heard from one of my friends who is also a parent to an autistic child is that this rejection unfortunately seems to not be limited to the neurotypical world. It seems like autistic parents and autistic children are also rejecting other autistic parents and autistic children when it comes to social get-togethers or social events or socialization in general. And one of the things that happened, for example, is I have this friend and she has an autistic child and she had been really excited about doing this kid's birthday party. And he was young, he was turning five, and she really wanted other people to come to this kid's birthday party. They were going to Chuck E. Cheese, it was going to be a thing. And so she invited, trying to be inclusive, she invited the kids from his special needs school, essentially, where all these other kids are getting ABA and everything with this kid. So they're his classmates, essentially. They already have a relationship and understanding of him and each other. She was also friends with the parents and, you know, school friends, as much as you're friends with people that you see on a daily basis at school. And so when it came for the time for the birthday party, nobody showed up. She was not getting any RSVPs. She was following up with them, trying to see if anybody would be willing to come. And that to me is really heartbreaking because I feel like it's hard enough trying to get your kid any sort of normalcy or sense of normalcy in terms of a social connection or a social group. Having a birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese, that's a big deal for any kid, but for an autistic kid, it's an even bigger deal because Chuck E. Cheese is not always accessible to a kid who has a lot of sensory issues. Chuck E. Cheese is doing these sensory days now, which is why this parent was able to do this. But to be able to even do that is already something that's difficult in general. And then to not have the social support system from parents who of all parents should understand what your kid is going through. Other parents of autistic kids, we need to have each other's backs when, when you know how hard it is for these kids to have other friends and 
go and do things like any other kid would. I just feel like it should be our duty as autistic parents to be there for each other and like show up to these events. I think we need to get it, have each other's backs and show up for these kids. And I'm a little surprised that that was kind of the take. I mean, that it was kind of his autistic class that didn't show up because I've heard stories where it's a autistic child and like uh, neurotypical children who don't bother showing up to the birthday. And I find that absolutely like horrible. But then the fact that this was his own class that, I mean, kind of bailed on him. I, I mean, that's that's horrific. I mean, as a parent, if that happened to like our daughters, I would just feel absolutely horrible. And I mean, I'm not really sure how you have the conversation with them. I mean, just kind of like, well, I mean, this is really unfortunate. Like, I mean, I don't even know how I would probably struggle with that conversation, just trying to address why no one showed up to your birthday. I mean, obviously any birthday party that we are invited to, I mean, we make sure we can try and, I mean, accommodate it as best possible. I mean, I think every birthday that we've been invited to for the girls we've gone to just so we can be present there. I mean, heaven forbid no one else shows up. I mean, at least we're there to try and provide some support for the kid. Yeah. And I remember when we celebrated the girl's first birthday and how challenging that was because we also couldn't get anyone to show up for the birthday parties. And that was when they were very little. So I kind of forgave it like, you know, nobody knows them. They're only one. They don't have a social life yet. But I kind of started to think about as they grow up and when they're having these birthday parties or when they're having these social gatherings, I was starting to think about how sad it would be to me as a mom. I know sometimes this is just us and the kid probably doesn't even care. Sometimes, (laughs) yeah, sometimes the kids don't really even care. But I feel like since we don't know that, since we don't know if they actually care or not, I like to err on the side of caution and act like they care and do my best to meet that potential need than to assume that they don't care and miss that mark. One of the things that really disappointed me in this situation with my friend was how the autism community, the the autistic children and the parents of those autistic children did not show up for one of their own. And that kind of really bothered me because I feel like that is something that as a parent to an autistic child, like you should know better. (laughs) You should know how difficult it is for this child to have this social event. And I know there can be excuses for that. Like perhaps they were having a meltdown, perhaps that kid, yeah, or they couldn't transition, but nobody showed up, not a single person. So I feel like it's not possible everyone had an excuse. For me, the takeaway from that and, and what I wanted to share with all of you guys listening out there is in order for us to make the world a better place for our children and for our children's futures, we have to look internally first. Like we need to work on ourselves first and we need to see what are we doing or what can we do or what can we improve on personally to take those steps to make the world a better place for our child. And that's when I think about that whole golden rule, like do unto others as you'd like them to do unto you. And for me, in the world of autism, the way I see that is, how would you like your child to be treated by the world? How would you like your child to be treated by other parents, other children? Would you want your child to be rejected like that? Or would you want other parents to show up for them and have them encourage their children? I understand that accommodations need to be made. So as the parent, I would be like, for us, Matt and I, we have a rule with birthday parties. What, what's that rule again about showing up for people? I mean, we always show up. <laughs> exactly. We always show up. Yeah. I mean, if we get an invitation, unless it's like medical emergency, we already had some sort of other appointment or something scheduled prior or like some sort of schedule conflict, even if we don't really want to go or we know it might be stressful, 
We show up for that person. We go out of our way and show up for that person because we know how important it would have been for us and our kid. And even if we don't want to go, we show up and support that person. That's what we need to start doing more as a community is showing up for each other. Even if for some reason you were not able to make it the entire time, there might be a meltdown once you get there. I think at least put forth the effort to show up or make an effort to be there. Our girls recently went to a couple of birthday parties and we were able to make it maybe part of the time, half the time, because they were kind of getting kind of cranky and kind of having a little bit of... um, Quasi beginner meltdown. Right. So we had to kind of say like, oh, thank you so much for for inviting us, but we quickly have to go. Right. (laughs) But I mean, we were there for an hour and a half, two hours or so. But I mean, we made the effort to actually be there so they know that, okay, we will show up if you invite us to anything. So I, I think that just shows the intent to try and do good to your fellow human. <laughs> right. And in terms of the sense of rejection, this will help your child, I think, also feel less rejected in the sense that if you're able to build these networks, you can have other parents who you can also rely on. If you do kind of like a tit for tat, like you show up for me, I'll show up for you. You guys can ensure that both of your children are mutually not feeling rejected. And so that's one of the things that we can do to help out our children. We also have to have those hard talks with our kids as they get older, as they get more mature, just trying to talk to them about their neurodiversity and how some kids maybe don't understand that yet or aren't quite mature enough to understand that. Have those hard talks with them. But I think it first really starts with dealing with the parents, because if you have a younger kid in particular, the parents are really ruling that roost. So the child doesn't have as much say as the parent. And I feel like that really, that's really like through teenagehood and early adulthood. Well, let's say, because you're the one basically telling them, we're going to this, I'm driving to this, let's get you dressed. (laughs) And like basically all the components to basically get you to that party is at the parent's focus or um, expense. Yeah, they're the ones controlling it. Exactly. Exactly. That's a cool word. (laughs) So the big question then is, what what can we do about it? (laughs) What, if anything, can we do about it? I think the big one, as we mentioned, is creating those support networks and making sure you have each other's back. But what do we do in terms of my child is actually feeling that sense of rejection or they are struggling to build these social relationships or it is having some sort of like emotional impact on them? I think when it comes to the emotional stuff, again, depending on the age, but really you can start quite young, get them into some sort of therapy early if you feel like they're starting to struggle with these deep emotional challenges. and. With the younger kids, you can start off with play therapy, which I've mentioned before. It's just therapy through play. Older kids can try to do talk therapy, art therapy, music therapy. There's so many ways. Even if your child is nonverbal, they can still express themselves through art, through music, through dance, all sorts of things and ways that they can express themselves or communicate. So those are some areas that you can look at. In terms of helping them build social relationships, I think that us as parents, building relationships with their peers parents is probably the best first step right i was trying to think of like okay so you try and have them be friends essentially with like other family members so like if they have like a cousin or something i feel like family is kind of like your first friend and then from there trying to branch out like maybe we have family friends that we're friends with and they might have a child to try and connect them as oh play with them because we already know the parents and then from there i mean trying to build connections for them with other parents. Exactly. And I know we mentioned in that last episode, some of that role play in terms of helping prepare them for social interactions. You can do that role play if you know where they're going, if they're going to a party or they're going to 
Chuck E. Cheese or wherever it may be, you can kind of go through that role play of a scenario that might happen there and have them practice with that social engagement. If they're really young, you can always practice imaginary play, give them some scripts to work with. Once they get older, they can hopefully memorize some of those scripts and then kind of make it their own. But you can do a whole lot of things to try to help them out when it comes to that. The hardest part of all of this, though, is that emotional impact part. How can I reduce the emotional impact? I think a lot of that will have to go through some sort of therapy or internal part on their end. They have to process this themselves. Again, they are on the higher functioning end. I'm not sure if this would be so much a problem on the lower functioning end, but for whoever it may be applicable to, that's something that is going to require some self-reflection, some therapy more than likely. But as a parent, we're there to be their stronghold. We're there to be their fortress. We're there to be their rock when times are difficult. And if you sense that your child is feeling isolated, if you sense that your child is internalizing some of this, if you sense something's off with my kid and I can tell that they feel lonely and they feel like it's their fault or they feel like they're to blame, that's the point in time where me as a parent, I feel like I need to step in here. I need to make sure that my kid knows their worth and their value and that they know that their worth and their value does not come from the world. Their worth and their value comes from the inside, their internal worth and value. It doesn't come from the outside world. So that's where we as parents have to make sure we're having those difficult conversations with them as well. Of course, depends on (laughs) the level of conversation that you're able to have with your child if they're nonverbal or functioning. That might not even be a conversation that you need to have, but you can still show affection and approval through physical affection, through gifts of things that they enjoy to show, like perk them up and show them here, I care for you. Some other form of nonverbal communication. You know your child best. Whatever you feel would get that message across to your child, that's how you need to like reach out to them. Yeah, I would say, or just make like a day of it. If you see that they are struggling, kind of feeling a little bit more vulnerable, just be like, okay, let's go have a day date or something and do something that they want to do. Playground, ice cream, McDonald's, dare I say. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it is that would kind of... Kind of boost their spirits a little Mm -hmm. bit. I mean, yes, I understand food can't solve all problems, but at least it provides provides a temporary... Band-aid? I guess. like It kind of boosts your spirits up a little bit. So you're like, oh, I'm excited. I'm to get food I don't ordinarily get. So it temporarily boosts your spirits. And then you're more open to kind of having these conversations or you feel like someone actually cares because they're making the effort to be with you and to spend time with you or do the things that you enjoy. Which again, food might be a problem if you have sensory <laughs> issues with food. That's why I said McDonald's. Maybe, <laughs> maybe some chicken nuggets there or maybe a ball pit, maybe like a new swing ride or whatever it is that they like. Try to keep them as optimistic as possible without getting to that toxic positivity where you're not acknowledging that there is pain and they're not acknowledging that there is loneliness. We don't want to get to that point. We want to acknowledge how they're feeling, but also give them hope and give them tools and resources, whether that be a therapist, whether that be you being that social lubricant where you're kind of helping them make friends by you making friends with the parents first and then making it easier, or perhaps creating safe environments for them to have friends, like have them invite them over to your house. Perhaps they're more comfortable there because they're used to that environment. Or maybe they're better doing remote gaming where all they have to do is talk over a video game system and they don't need to be face-to-face with that kid. Get creative in how you approach it, but always, again, keep that door for communication open and make sure you have your finger on the pulse of how your kid is feeling, whether they're feeling rejected, whether they're feeling depressed, whether they're feeling isolated. It's important to keep 
keep our finger on that pulse and really understand how our kid is feeling. This is harder to do depending on the level of communication that your child has. If your child is not really struggling with this, I would focus more on making sure that they're feeling involved in your family, involved in these events. Even if you feel like they're not interested, maybe they're nonverbal, maybe they like to be in their own world like my kid used to be. If that's the case, don't feel or believe that just because they appear like they don't care that they actually don't care. I've heard a lot of stories where nonverbal autistic children weren't being included and as they grew up and started to be able to communicate more through writing, they expressed how they were aware of this and they felt rejected as a child. And just because they were nonverbal didn't mean they didn't want to partake with everyone else. So don't exclude them just because you feel like they don't understand or just because you think that perhaps they're not interested. I would lean more towards including rather than excluding. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's a nice wrap on that. <laughs> <laughs> so these are a couple hypotheses. These are a couple things you can try in terms of strategies. But ultimately, it's not a one size fits all. And each autistic child is very different from another autistic child. So you're going to have to do some sort of digging to figure out what works best for your kid. But we as parents and as a community really ultimately need to lean on each other for support and we need to be there and have each other's backs and show up for each other. Because if we can't show up for each other, how on earth can we expect other people to show up for our kids if we can't even show up for each other? Right. I think definitely making an effort and being there for a fellow autistic child is probably number one. And then from there, obviously working with conversations and kind of trying to make sure that your child isn't feeling isolated. Yes. So best of luck. Keep trying and never, never stop because you never know what's going to work. Just keep trying and be there for your kid. Find those social networks. And if you happen to live near us, hit us up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. To review, we reflected on the challenges our children face, particularly when other children reject them. However, we as parents can help build those relationships by uniting as a community and helping each other out. By showing up for each other, being present for our children, and ensuring they have access to the mental health services they need, we can improve their chances of feeling less isolated. Tune in next week as we discuss the hardship of being painted a bad parent, whether on social media, by our family, or our peers. We answer questions such as, why is the online community so hostile towards parents of autistic children? What should I do if I begin to doubt my parenting due to the online feedback? And should I listen to all autistic voices? This is Embracing Autism.